yeah, I was I was just thinking another thought that I had while I was out there, one that I constantly have when I'm having these adventures. At some point during a big event or ride, I end up being really grateful um, that I have the opportunity to, to do these things. I mean, even, you know, I, you know, sounds like, oh, you know, I suffered in the cold and my hip hurt and, oh, you know, I was suffering. But I mean, the reality is like, I have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to do these things. A lot of people don't. Um, and I don't want to take that for granted. Um, you know, my family's healthy and I'm mostly healthy and I'm, I, I have the means to be able to do these things. And I, man, I just, I, sometimes I get teary eyed thinking about just the ability to be able to go do these things and have these experiences. Um, some people don't choose to, but a lot of people don't have the option financially or because they're working two jobs or whatever it is. And I'm just beyond grateful that I can do these things. All right. Welcome to episode one of Stoke Podcast. I'm super, super pumped to introduce Dana Ernst on the podcast today. And we explored his journey on the Verde Valley Randone. This is a 250 mile route around the Verde Valley. So it starts in Flagstaff. And you can start anywhere along the route, um, but it goes in a big circle from Flagstaff and it ends in Flagstaff. Um, and Dana just completed this route about a week and a half ago. And uh, he just tells us about his experience and, you know, why he gets out on the bike and adventures the way he does. Um, and before we started recording, I asked his wife, Jen, to send me a little introduction that people really wouldn't know about Dana. Um, and so I'm going to read this before we start, but she states or says, there isn't much about Dana that people don't know. He's the kind of guy that shares what is on his mind. Dana doesn't hold back or keep any secrets. What you see is what you get. But if you really want to understand Dana, you need to look at his dad. Dana thought his childhood was ordinary. I can tell you it was certainly not. Dana's dad was intense. When Dana went on camping trips across the country, his dad pulled a trailer behind the RV, filled the bench press, and filled with weights. Dana had to lift weights at every campground, and it was not optional. Before coming in for dinner, Dana often would have to climb a rope multiple times to enter back inside. And when Dana wanted to go to a different high school than what his dad thought might be the best one, he had to bench press a ridiculous amount of weight in eighth grade in order for his dad to agree. So these are the things that shape Dana. It is probably why he can ride his bike for hundreds of miles at a time. He has learned how to handle pain, embrace challenges, and suffer since the time he was young. I mostly don't worry about Dana when he is out on a bikepacking trip because of his resilience. I know he can handle what is thrown at him. Hallucinations, not a problem. Shaking from the cold, no big deal. Broken bike, problem solved. There is one Achilles heel though, his toes. If you haven't seen Dana's feet, they kind of look like bones, <laughs> bones off his toes, thrown into a bag, tossed around and randomly fit together. The man can ride hundreds of miles with a torn hip labrum, but if he stubs his toe, you wouldn't you you would think he'd be need to, need to be rushed to the emergency room. The first time it happened, I ran upstairs in a panic, expecting some some sort of blood or maybe a broken bone or something. All I found was him slamming his fist into a dresser drawer while screaming every curse word you can imagine. He stubbed his toe. When Dana is out in the middle of nowhere one day, riding his bike, it is going to be a not the broken spoke or a crash that leaves him, you know, calling me. It is going to be the fist-sized rock on a hike-a-bike section that he bumps his toe on. So this was super funny hearing this from Jen. Um, she sent this in an email, and Kenzie and I were laughing so hard when we heard this because um, Dana's a tough dude. Um, everything that I've seen or, I mean, just on paper he's done some amazing bikepacking routes but i was super stoked to hear dana today and i'm so proud and super pumped and stoked to introduce dana onto the podcast and so without any further introduction 
I'd love to invite and welcome Dana Ernst. That's great. That is so funny. <laughs> Kenzie and I, we uh, sat down yesterday and I, I was reading it and did not expect that at all. And it was, it's so funny. And, and Kenzie, I have a toe issue too. Yeah, I, that's funny. I broke two toes and it was like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, my toes are a mess. <laughs> yeah, same. I don't know what it is about the little little tiny toes. Yeah, um, not only are they a mess. Yeah, for whatever reason, I I do flip out if I stub my toe. Oh yeah, yeah. no, it's the worst. Yeah. Um, but you know, I thought that was really interesting. You know, because uh, we're, we're acquaintances. I say we're friends, but we just haven't really we haven't ridden together at all. You know. Um, right. Yeah. And so it was kind of interesting hearing your backstory with you know your dad and uh those road trips was he was he an animal like was my, he yeah my dad was an animal um so yeah a little background on my dad he was inducted into the national wrestling hall of fame wrestling was like a huge part of his life and certainly my life not by choice growing up and he owned a gym for a little while that Lou Ferrigno used to work at work out at which is the incredible hulk um back in the day and um we had a gym in my garage um yeah so it was just like constant uh no pain no gain household um growing up and i i spent most of my childhood resenting my dad um being angry at him but um you know honestly i wouldn't be where i am today if it hadn't been for him sort of like crushing me <laughs> all the time yeah um, so yeah yeah I have, I have video and pictures of bench pressing in campgrounds driving across the country. I have vivid memories of like bench pressing at Lake Tahoe. <laughs> no way. <laughs> that is yeah. so crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure every family that walked by was like, what is this crazy family doing? But yeah, it wasn't optional. Huh? Yeah. That's, that's not, um, probably a normal, normal way. No, to not at all. Normal. Not at all. Normal. I mean, no. it was normal for me at the time. But looking back, I'm like, yeah, that was totally bonkers. Dang. And was, cycling even in the picture at that point uh no although you know one of the experiences i had with my dad that really shaped my sort of desire to ride bikes is one day my dad was like we're i mean because my dad constantly like challenges and doing things that were ridiculous he's like we're gonna ride our bikes to your cousin scott's house which was maybe 40 miles i'm not even really sure but it was um i mean it was an epic day on the bike and this like massive huge hill to get up to his house at the end um, I don't know how old I was. I was probably maybe a freshman in high school or something. Um, and I hadn't ever ridden that far before, but like, yeah, we just went, we just, we just sent it and, uh, it was awesome. And that, that definitely like kind of sparked something in me, but it was a while before I really got into riding bikes. It was probably college sometime before I really got into mountain biking. Interesting. So, and then in college, did you just... Was it road, mountain? Because um, there really wasn't gravel biking. No, no. So I went to school in Virginia, just outside of D.C. Um, at the time, I probably would have called myself a mountain biker. I mean, looking back, I was just a kid who owned a mountain bike who had pictures of John Tomac on my wall in my dorm room, but I didn't ride all that much. I mean, I thought I did, but looking back, I like I hardly ever went. Um I did a couple of races back home in Buffalo, New York. Um, usually got my ass kicked. Um, so, yeah, I, d I got into mountain biking, but I didn't really do it all that much until I moved to Flagstaff the first time after graduating from college. So I moved here the first time in 1997 and then, and then really started mountain biking and sort of figuring out what it was all about and getting my ass handed to me by everybody I went riding with. Yeah, Flagstaff is probably one of the best spots. Yeah, and I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, I moved here so I could go rock climbing all the time, and you know, and then spent time climbing and riding my bike. Um, and I, I mean, it was sort of trial by fire. I went riding with people who were way better than me, and was literally just trying to like survive and keep up. That's how you get good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, sweet. Um, and I kind of want to touch base on this new venture that has kind of sparked and. I'm curious, were you the one that kind of came up with this route and this challenge? Yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was my idea. I've been sort of, so I also direct this bikepacking race called Pinions and Pines, um, which I put on every May. 
And that's usually about 300 miles and it's a mix of dirt roads and single track and double track. And, you know, every once in a while, someone tries to show up on a gravel bike. <laughs> and it's not really probably a good idea. Some people pull it off. Um, but I'd been sort of, because of that, I'd been toying with the idea of also putting a route together that was more gravel bike friendly. I had been riding my gravel bike more and more. Um, and so it was in the back of my mind and I had some ideas for some routes and then in February of this year, I went and did my first brevet event, which is a, you know, an official randoneering event. Um, these are officially non-competitive events, but they have a certain distance, a designated route, and you, you just ride at your own pace. And I went down there with Joe Pavlik. It was a 300 kilometer all on pavement and had an absolute blast. Uh, but I hated being around all the cars. Um, it just was like, this This is awful. I mean, I got buzzed by numerous trucks late in the day when I was tired. So I had, a, I had an excellent time, but I was like, oh, I'd really like to replicate this kind of experience, but, but do it on dirt. And so I'd already had some ideas for some routes in mind. And I was like, okay, I want to sort of put together a 400 kilometer, 250 mile gravel friendly route that sort of showcases the wide variety of terrain and beauty that we have here in Northern Arizona. Um, and so I sort of drew a map on, you know, drew a route on a map and sort of tested it out this summer in August, I think it was. I rode um, with Eddie Bressler over two days, a sort of slightly shorter version of what currently exists. Um, the route's amazing. And so I just put it out there. I put a web page together, put a challenge together. The idea is um, anybody can ride the route whenever they want. They can start anywhere on the loop they want. They can go either clockwise or counterclockwise. And all they have to do is finish the route and I'll put their name on the webpage and send them a free patch that was designed by Wyatt Spaulding. Um, and so, yeah, I just went and did it about a week and a half ago officially myself. Uh, I think there's now been four finishers. Uh, Ezra Ward-Packard has done it. Uh, myself and Jacob Miller rode together, and then uh, Dylan Turner rode it uh, just a few days after I did. Sweet. And um, I, I was looking at the webpage, and currently you and Jacob are, well, not that it's a race, you know, um, and it shouldn't be kind of a, I mean, some people are definitely going to go into it with the mindset of, I'm going to try to beat Dana, you know, yeah. but also, um, I'm just curious on the efficiency that, you know, that you rode your bike for 246 miles. And, <clears throat> and, uh, so did you, I mean, what was your overall like goal and mindset coming into it? Yeah. So I, I wanted to just, you know, I put the route together and I was looking at my calendar and, you know, watching the, days get shorter and shorter and I was like you know I want to just go send this thing before the year ends um, I had a bunch of motivations for doing that I've had some hip issues for the past year after that 300 kilometer brevet I did in February um, I had massive hip pain and I took from early February until late May off the bike just doing rehab trying to get better uh, it took me forever to figure out what was going on and then I just said fuck it and started riding again in May um, and so I hadn't had like a really big adventure this year. Um, so I was kind of, I was kind of really craving something, an adventure. And, um, you know, given my upbringing, I sort of really wanted to do something. I wasn't quite sure if I could do. I've been waffling on having hip surgery for months. Um, every surgeon I've talked to tells me I really need to have surgery, but I keep thinking, well, I'm able to do this shit. I don't know if I want to have surgery and take nine months off. And so I've been waffling on it and I keep thinking, well, I really need to go sort of really see what my hip can handle. And so that was one of my main motivations was like, can I do this right now? Should I, if I can't, then maybe that's an indication I really need to have surgery. And if I can do it, well then, oh, fuck it. Maybe I can just keep doing what I'm doing and just put up with the pain. And so that was one big motivation. Um, I really wanted to just, you know, just go do something hard and ride my bike all day and have an adventure. Um, Jacob Miller found out about the event and we hadn't coordinated in advance, but he happened to be doing it the exact same day as me. And so we hooked up to ride together. Um, his motivation was definitely to ride it in under 24 hours. Um, I wasn't sure what my, you know, what 
I was really going to do when I started. I was like, all right, my goal is to finish, see how things go with my hip. And, you know, maybe I'll shoot for under 24 hours with Jacob. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm generally a pretty competitive person, but I also wanted to kind of just play it by ear and sort of see how things went. Um, and so I had in the back of my mind, I wanted to maybe beat Ezra's time, but that wasn't, that wasn't my main priority. I just wanted to finish, have fun, sort of test my mind and sort of see what my hip could handle. Um, and things went, for the most part, pretty smoothly. Um, Jacob and I were on very different bikes. I was on a gravel bike with, I think, 48 millimeter width tires. He was on a full suspension mountain bike. So there were times when we weren't at all together because we were on completely different rigs. I sort of expected him to ride away from me after a few hours, but we were together the whole time for the most part, yo-yoing back and forth um, and really had an awesome day on the bike. It was hard for the last few hours. It was pretty brutal, um, but my hip held together. Um, it still feels pretty good. It hurt the whole time, but it never really got worse. So I guess I'm going to put surgery off for a little while longer. It's good. Yeah, that was yeah. a good way to test it. And also, yeah. you know, you're not um, a normal person to just be like, well, let me see if I need surgery. <laughs> and really, you're, you're probably your pain tolerance is much higher than normal. So yeah, doctors are looking at it on paper going, hmm. Yeah, you should, you should get this fixed. But yeah, unless unless I stub my toe, <laughs> unless you stub your toe, then you then you're getting surgery. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Um, well, yeah, and then uh, I'm sorry, I'm just this microphone. It's like, is it too loud? I mean, it's I mean, I hear it every once in a while when you move, but it's not so bad. Okay, the microphone sucks. <laughs> well, once you once you report this back, you'll you'll decide whether you like it or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So not getting off track. So the last few hours were the hardest as in any effort, you know, no matter yeah. if it's a three hour effort or a 23 mile, or 23 hour effort, the last hour is usually the worst in any. Yeah. Effort. For me, it was like the last six, <laughs> the last six hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I, I mean, I really wanted a big challenge. Right. And so you know, I'm, I, I've been working a lot on my mindset the last few years. And, um, you know, there's, in my mind, there's two ways to sort of exploit the skill set that I've been trying to develop. It's number one, to sort of keep yourself in a good mindset as long as you can. But then there's the challenges of starting to deal with things when things aren't going the way you want them to, or you start to suffer a little bit. Um, in in a lot of ways, I was really hoping things would be really horrible at some point, so I could really sort of be in that testing situation. Um, and it went really smoothly for the first 18 hours. Um, really good mindset. Everything was going smoothly, feeling really good. And then, and then I got really cold, <laughs> like really fucking cold. Um, and, and then it, and then it got hard. Um, so in the morning when we started, we started at 4 AM. Um, you know, I don't know how accurate the temperature gauges are on the GPS, you know, because the wind's going over it. But we regularly were seeing low 20s for the first few hours of us riding. And it wasn't that bad. You know, we were bundled up and, you know, not not really hammering on the pedals and not getting too wet with sweat. So it was cold, but like, it was totally fine. Um, but my water bottles froze like in 45 minutes. And so I didn't really drink anything for the first like four hours because um, my water bottles were completely frozen. But I was really good about eating calories. You know, I have a timer on my GPS. Every 30 minutes, I eat uh, whether I want to or not. So I'm pretty militant about keeping the calories going, trying to get like 250, 300 calories per hour. And so the morning was cold, but no big deal. In the evening, it was not quite as cold. It was a little bit breezier, but like I was starting to get pretty calorie depleted. And I think my water bottles froze again, maybe with about four hours to go. What time was By that it? time? Um, let's see, we finished before 4 a.m., so around midnight, Okay. Uh, somewhere around Mormon Lake. Oof. I can't remember if my water bottles froze before that or after that. I don't quite remember. Um, but yeah, so then I didn't, and then a, a lot of my calories were in my bottles, and so I was trying to eat food, but then I refused to take my gloves off, partly because I put hand warmers in there, which didn't help at all. Um, so I wasn't eating, I wasn't drinking for like the last four hours, and I was, I was, the coldest I've ever been. I mean, temperature wise, it wasn't the coldest, but I was, I was shaking. So the, like my core was shaking. And every time I went downhill, I was just riding the brakes just so that the wind wasn't 
cruising over me. I mean, I think easily I could have gone twice as fast over that last 40 miles if I hadn't been so cold. Um, I mean, we were just creeping along. Uh, Jake was in much better shape than I was at that point. He wasn't quite as cold as I was. I was I was in rough shape. I was questioning my sanity, and I wasn't ready to pull the plug at any point in time. But I was like, "Wow, if I get much colder, this is going to be damn right dangerous." Yeah. Um, but I just kept moving on. I was really trying to manage my moisture by unzipping my jacket and zipping it back up and keeping my hands warm. Um, but I, I was just so cold and moving so slowly. And at that point, you're trying not to look at your GPS because you're like, oh, I'm freezing cold. I'm trying to just maintain this positive mindset and I've gone a tenth of a mile <laughs> and I got to do it again and again. And it just takes forever and ever and ever, uh, you know, because you're 18 hours into this effort. We mostly were moving that whole time and we took a break in Williams and ate a ridiculous amount of McDonald's. And then we took a break in Camp Verde and ate a more ridiculous amount of McDonald's. But for the most part, we were on the gas and trying to move the whole time and managing our moisture and output in the evening when it got cold. And it was, it was, it was pretty hard. You know, it's like, you know, like everything like that, it's like, you're wondering whether you're going to be able to finish and then, and then you're done and you think immediately, Oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> exactly. When, um, when you're in it, yeah, it's the worst. And then when you're done, you're like, Oh, I'm so glad yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I mean, there were moments where I was thinking, Oh man, this is this is easily the hardest thing I've ever done. And then as soon as I was done, I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Stop being a wimp. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> two different people, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it has and, and something to say too with your deficiency. Like, I'm sure it was only what 35 degrees, 30 degrees, probably not as cold as when you started, but you just had no nothing in your body. Yeah, you know, well, you no have, fuel to burn. Yeah. No. So that's the worst too. I mean that just makes your pain just that much worse, you know? Yeah. Cause yeah. Well, so that was like, and then coming into Flagstaff, you know, the last 40 miles Mormon Lake and that's a home stretch. And at any point where you, uh, I know you were questioning pulling the plug, but there are times when you're probably like, all right, I'm. Yeah. I mean, I kept thinking, okay, I'm definitely not calling my wife right now, but if suddenly she just drove by like in a warm car with a hot cup of coffee, I'd be pretty tempted to get in the car. <laughs> but at that point I was like, wow, fuck it. I'm so close. I just gotta, I just gotta suffer in. And at that point I literally didn't even give a shit what time I finished. It was just like, I just, I just need to survive and get to the end. The last mile home from the bike shop after I was done <laughs> was the worst because I was like, fuck, I just want to be in my bed right now. Yeah, you have to um, go to the bike shop. And you rode home? I rode home because I, I mean, it was almost 4 o'clock in the morning. It was 3.20 in the morning or something like that. So, you know, I thought, well, there's a chance my son's awake. I could make him come pick me up. But I just, yeah, it was like a mile and a half back to my house. Thankfully, almost all up hills. So I could stay warm on the way up the hill to the house. Yeah. Um Funnily, uh, funnily, I'm not even sure that's the word. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I, pull, I pulled into my garage, you know, just before four o'clock in the morning. And literally the first thing I did was pulled out my phone and ordered a pair of windproof socks. <laughs> no way. I was like, yeah. And I didn't give a shit how expensive they were. My wife gave me a hard time about this later. She's like, you know, you shouldn't make purchases when you're <laughs> that tired. And I was like, I didn't give a fuck. I, I needed, I was like, I needed to know that next time I went out, I was going to have socks that were going to keep my feet warm, you know, keep the wind off. Yeah. So I the worst thing was your toes. Well, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that wasn't the worst. My hands are actually in much worse shape. Um, I had other handwear I could have brought that I, but I thought the stuff that I'd packed would have been sufficient. Um, but that, yeah, my feet were cold. And I thought, you know, if I could get one of these problems solved, that would be pretty nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I bought some expensive socks Good. from, from Australia. And, and it's hard, it's hard to, to, um, keep your feet warm cycling yeah. because you have just such a small shoe. And so even if you put wool socks on, you have millimeters of material in front of your sock. Um, and depending on what shoe you have, but I mean, I have the, just like specialized cleats and no yeah. matter in the wintertime, how many I can do a wool sock shoe and then a windbreaker like cover over the shoe. doesn't matter. It's, it's yeah. still freezing. I had tried to buy a pair of toe covers the night before at REI. Um, I bought the largest size. And then that night when I got home, I tried to put them over my shoe. It 
and they didn't fit in a way that I would expose my cleat to clip in. Mm. So that was kind of a heartbreaker. I was like, oh, I thought this these toe covers were going to save my life, but I had to leave them at home. They didn't work. <laughs> oh, no. And so that, that brings me into my my next curiosity is, like, what did you bring? Um, did you... So oh, there's man, two things. So, many, so, <laughs> so you, much close. Did you expect... Yeah, go ahead. Did you expect, you know, to stay longer than 24 hours is like my first um, question because that has a huge indicator with, you know, the materials you bring and the equipment. Um, If you're staying, you know, until 9 a.m. the next day, right? If you were just on the bike for six more hours, that's a whole, I mean, that might be a bag, right? You might have to pull over and and put a bag Yeah, I... uh... You know, I didn't know how long it was going to take because I, I kind of went into it sort of prepared for whatever. I did not bring stuff to sleep, um, but I did bring a lot of clothes. In fact, I had more shit on my bike than I sometimes do for a bikepacking race. Um, I had multiple jackets, multiple layers because I was worried because I sweat a lot. I was worried about, you know, having something wet on and having to trade it out. I had an extra pair of socks I never ended up using. I had multiple pair of gloves. I had wind layers. I had bib shorts, bib tights. I had a big puffy jacket. Um, I mean, I had so much shit on my bike. Um, none of it was all that heavy, but it, you know, it was still cumbersome to ride around for 24 hours, all this shit on your bike. It was mostly just clothes. And my system wasn't all that great. Um, so I had bib shorts and then I had like these Rafa uh, bib tights, like full length ones. But in order for me to put them on, I had to get completely undressed. And I did that twice. And the first time it was fine because I was like stripping all this stuff off at the Verde River um, mm-hmm. on the way down from Williams. And it was like hot out and I was taking all this stuff off and it was great. But, you know, it, it probably took me 15 minutes to pack my bike back up because I barely had room for everything. Um, but then that night when I wanted to put my tights back on, I didn't do it until we got to the pavement below Stoneman Lake. I waited too long to do it because I was pretty still pretty warm climbing. But then the wind picked up and it was super cold and I had to, literally had to take all of my clothes off and then put them back on in the dark. And that, that took me to another sort of chilled level. And I never, that was sort of the beginning of the end for the warmth for me. Cause it just, the wind sucked every, <laughs> all the warmth right out of me. And at that point I was pretty shattered. And that was about, that was with about six hours to go at that point when I stripped all my clothes off and changed. So uh, that was not ideal. Next time I would bring stuff, I could slide over the top of what I was wearing and not have to get completely undressed. I mean, it sounds like a silly thing. It's only a couple minutes, but when you're cold and having trouble getting warm, that extra warmth that you just lost, I never really got it back. Yeah. Yeah. So it was clothes. That was what you brought? I just brought clothes, lots of clothes. Uh, When I finished, um, I had everything on except for an extra pair of socks, Mm -hmm. which I don't think I really could have fit in my shoes anyway. It wouldn't have helped, but I had everything. I had my big puffy jacket on, my hood over the top of my helmet, and just, you know, pedaling so slowly. So (laughs) slow. So slow. So slow, yeah. Um, Mostly just because I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to get wet going uphill, and I didn't want to get cold going downhill. So it was like really managing the wind over my body. And did you wear pants? Or just um, like tights? Just Just those tights, yeah. Just the tights. And those worked out pretty well. I mean, my legs were never cold. It was just my core. My feet, yeah. my hands, yeah, yeah. Po- pokies on my hands would have been awesome, <laughs> but I didn't have any. Nah, yeah. and then, yeah, I guess with time you learn the yeah. equipment. Because with me, I've I've done one big effort. It was supposed to be a bike packing trip, but my partner had a call out, and I was like, "Well, if you're going to call out, I mean, I, I don't really want to continue." So yeah, um, and that's always been questions of mine is like what do you bring? I know what to bring for a hundred mile ride, right? Nothing Two water bottles because I know I'm going to get it done. But with a, anything over a hundred miles, it's like anything can happen. Um, and so it's interesting because you didn't bring anything to sleep on. You no, know? Yeah. I was just going to send it or, you know, or not, you know, I was just, I was just going to go for it. And it didn't okay. matter to me if it took me 30 hours or whatever. I was going to, I mean, my goal anyway was to keep on going my hip, allowing me to and thankfully it did so yeah i was just gonna i was just gonna go for it dang yeah but i I, you know i felt prepared i i mean i had 
I, I had way more clothes than Jacob did. I mean, Jacob was like, I'm finishing in under 24 hours. I'm going to send this thing. Um, I had, I felt like I had twice as much shit on my bike than he did. Yeah. Um, I definitely had more clothes than he did. Uh, but you know, I got more cold than he did. And I don't, I don't know if that would happen every time, you know, these things can go either way. I mean, if him and I rode together again, maybe he'd be the one that was cold. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely have a issue managing moisture. So I think that, I had a lot to that do. That could be a, you know, an indicator. And then also what you ate too. I mean, maybe he just ate one extra French fry. That could have just he, been that much more fuel. It was interesting watching him eat. Um, I, I was like, wow, he's, I mean, that was actually the first time him and I had ever ridden together. I know who he is. We're acquaintances, but that was the first time we'd ever ridden together. He's generally pretty fast and mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty militant about eating calories because I know that I have to. And like for, for the first eight hours, I was like, Jacob, have you eaten anything? I mean, he had some food at McDonald's, but it was like, he was not eating with the frequency and regularity that I was. And so I was starting to question like, you know, is he going to be okay later? Is he going to bonk? He never did. I would have if I had, well, I think I would have if I had eaten as little as he did. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I'm the one who ended up getting super cold. He didn't. So it worked for him. Um, I don't know if he's like that all the time. Um, I didn't want to eat all the time, but I forced myself to, knowing that it was sort of the key. Having done these things enough, I knew that I just had to keep put the fuel in. Still <laughs> caught up with me later in the night. It's gasoline and yeah. it, it, you got to force it. It sucks. Um, well, sweet here. Um, we're going to pause it for just a second. Yeah. You know, so we'll be right back in a short after these, this short break. All right. Thanks for, thanks for waiting, everyone. We're back. Dana, we had a little, uh, um, user error. I didn't <laughs> update my, my zoom. So yeah, I but, just, but now, but now you're in, now you're an official unlimited zoomer. Now, Stoke podcast business. <laughs> now it's official. Now it's official. Um, there you go. And so, Dana, where were we? Um, I have no idea. Ah, oh, man. I was cold. I don't remember. I know. <laughs> you don't remember. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, we went over that. was the hardest point mentally, huh? Just, just being super, super cold coming in last 40 miles. Um, yeah, for sure. And then we were talking about equipment. You brought a bunch of clothes. Uh, all, all the clothes and a bunch of food huh i mean yeah actually i yeah so my food strategy so typically how i do these things uh when i'm gonna do a big effort i kind of guess how long i'm gonna be out there add a little bit and then divide you know that time by 250 um just actually uh, yeah try and figure out how many hours i'm gonna be out there and then multiply by 250 calories per hour and that's generally what I try and consume regularly. That, that seems to be my limit. If I try and go over 250 per hour, my stomach goes a little bit south. And if I'm under that, I usually get a little depleted. Um, so I actually had most of the calories I was going to need for the day already on my bike because I wanted to pick things I knew I was going to be able to eat and uh, would be predictable on my stomach. And so I had a shit ton of scratch. I had a bunch of beef jerky and some beef sticks, which I generally totally dislike unless I'm like eight hours into a bike ride and then it's the best thing ever. Um, and then I had some sort of scratch gummies and that sort of thing. Um, and then some maple syrup stuff that's by this company out of Canada. What the hell is it called? Endurance Tap, I think. Um, 500 calories in a flask and it's like maple syrup and ginger and salt and it. it's it's amazing i mean you can just crush 500 calories if you really needed to and it goes down super easy digests great um, i'm totally hooked on that stuff and then i knew i could supplement what i had by stopping at mcdonald's at least once we ended up stopping twice and then um you know grab stuff at the gas station so the only food i bought on route was twice at mcdonald's which I also never eat, but it's great when you're in the middle of one of these efforts. And then I bought two Snickers bars at the gas station in Camp Verde. Otherwise, I had everything on me I needed. And I ended up having extra at the end because I didn't eat for like the last four hours. Oh, probably. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Which didn't help I, I just, I didn't want to take my gloves off and I, my bottles were frozen, which had a lot of calories in it. So that was a, you know, I, I, I should have been. I mean, I knew I was not making good choices, but I just wanted to keep moving. It was kind of like 
okay, what do I do? Do I stop and take my gloves off and slow down, or do I just keep on going? Um, I mean, it worked out in the end. Um, I maybe would have been a little bit more comfortable if I tried to keep fuel in the fire, uh, but I, I just wanted it. I just wanted to get it over with at that point. So I think if it had gone on any longer, that would have been a tactical error. Uh, it worked out. Yeah. And there's things you yeah. can control and there's things you can't. Yeah. So yeah, I'm usually, a, reason. yeah, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, but I don't know what I would do next time. If I wrote it in the cold, would I put it on my back? I mean, I think a lot of the reason why the water bottles freeze is the air is flowing over them. So it's makes them cold fast. If I had had a bladder in my back, body warmth would have kept it a little warmer. It would have been out of the wind. Uh, maybe that would have kept it from freezing. I could have put a frame bag in and then had a bladder in there. That might have helped. Um, so there's lots of little things I could have done to stop that from happening. I guess when it happened, I wasn't surprised, but I hadn't planned for it in advance. Um, so that's something to sort of be aware of that, you know, that happens when you're out there, the water bottles freeze and then you can't drink. <laughs> which, yeah, which yeah. if it was longer than four hours, that would have been a really big problem. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It wasn't a big deal in the morning because, you know, we're still early. It was fresh, you know, so it was no problem. But in the, but in the evening, it, it sort of caught up with me. And then how was, um, how was recovery? I mean, with an effort like that, it must have taken you a week. Uh, yeah, I was pretty, so it's interesting, you know, my, my, so my hormones tend to get a little out of whack after these sorts of things. You know, I get emotional and, <laughs> uh, you know, you have these post-event sort of depression things not not bad but you know it's like kind of like my emotions are sort of all over the map and um my body felt pretty good i was actually muscularly sore the next couple days which actually doesn't happen to me that often when i do long bike rides every time i do a hike in the canyon i can barely walk for days because i'm so sore but typically even after a multi-day bikepacking trip i'm not muscularly sore but i was after this um, and so, yeah, I didn't actually ride mostly because I didn't have time during the week, but I didn't ride for a whole week. And then when I went out on the following weekend, um, this past weekend, I, I felt okay. I didn't try and ride really hard. I was just kind of recovering and I feel pretty good now and super happy that my hip feels as good as it does. Yeah. And that's good too. So your hip was, I'm sure sore, but I mean, you don't see any worsening condition, like conditions. no. And, and, and that, that's a little weird to me because three, like three weeks ago, my hip hurt so bad. I was like, Oh, I definitely need to have surgery. And then I just kept doing my PT exercises and went to my PT and then it, it kind of just went back to baseline. Um, so I expected it to flare up like it had been and it didn't. And I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Like, I don't even know why I got sore a few weeks ago. I'm not really sure what I did to aggravate it. I thought for sure this is the hardest thing I've done in months if anything's going to flare it up, it's going to be this. And it didn't. It feels exactly the same as before I started. It hurts all the time. I mean, it hurts sitting here right now, but it's like mm -hmm. just enough to not be at the tip of my mind all the time. I can kind of shove it in the background. But if it just gets a little bit more painful, it kind of captures my attention, which is which is hard. Chronic pain is uh, really challenging. And thankfully, mine is just below the threshold most of the time. Good. Well, not good too. We want to get that hit better. You know? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just, I, you know, I, I sort of feel like I don't have a choice, right? I got to deal with it one way or the other. And if that means surgery and recovery, then that's fine. If it means dealing with the pain all the time, um, I'm just going to do it. And now that you're a dad, you know that sometimes you'd like, okay, I just got to do this because I got to set a good example for my kid or yeah. whatever. I got to do this because I got to be around to be a dad. And so I just kind of, I just suck it up sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's it's yeah. so true. I mean, yeah. that that switch, you know, from being an independent person to now like having a family. It's like, oh no, I I, I choose to do this. I can't or I can't do something because I need to be there for my family. Or yeah, I need to do this for an example for my daughter. You know, so yeah. she grows up, she can look back and go, ah, oh, dad, that's really cool. I'm I'm glad yeah. you did that. You know, yeah. Um, well, is it is your hip like? Bone on bone? No, my uh, my joint spacing is actually pretty good. Um, I kind of wish it wasn't because then I could have insurance pay for a new hip, which has a shorter recovery time and better outcome. Um, the surgery that I would need, they need. So I have uh, I have three things going on in my hip. I have a torn labrum, which is in pretty rough shape. 
Um, that's super common, not that big of a deal, but I also have a cyst in there right next to that. It's not clear to me how much of an issue that's causing, but there's a pretty large cyst in there. And then the bigger issue is that I have uh, what's called FAI. I'm probably going to butcher pronouncing this right, but I think it's femoral acetabular impingement, I think is what it stands for. Uh, basically, my femur is misshapen and acting as a, a pinch point every single time I walk and pedal, and it's just crushing my labrum. Um, and so if I had surgery, they would snip out the torn labrum, remove the cyst, and reshape the head of my femur um, to stop it from pinching every time. And that's what the long recovery time would be. It's like nine plus months of recovery time. Whereas if you get a new hip, it's like five or six months. Um, and the outcome's not as great. And so it's really hard for me to commit to having surgery to be out for nine months when I'm still able to do things like this. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm in pain every time, but I don't know. It's like, you're still doing it. I'm still doing it. And so yeah. signing up to have surgery, which, you know, it's, Surgery is a big deal. I've had enough of my life and I, I don't uh, I don't always think that I made the right choice. And so it's hard for me to commit to having surgery, you know, doing anesthesia, getting cut open, reshaping my, you know, the body my, that God gave me and, and crossing my fingers and hoping that I'm better after nine months. And so it's, it's really hard to commit to. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I get to the point where I just, the pain is so bad that I, I can't be a good person anymore and I can't do the things that I love. And then, then I'll, then I'll just, I'll just do it and cross my fingers and hope for the best and then be the world's best, uh, PT patient ever, ever. Yeah. It'd be the best yeah, PT athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Um, and is there any, like, I mean, is there anything, it's hard to word this, like, motives or kind of things that you think about when you're 150 miles away from home? Yeah. Um, all the, well, so it, it's simultaneously no thoughts and all the thoughts. Um, at any moment, I might not be thinking about anything. Um, and then I might be thinking about everything. Um, sometimes I have these intentions. I'm going to go out for this long bike ride and I'm going to think about this really deep thing. You know, my, like a, several months ago, my, my dad was sick and about to pass away. And I think I'm going to go out for a long bike ride and, and I think about my dad the whole time. And, you know, sometimes you're not thinking about it and that maybe that's exactly what you need. Sometimes you are thinking about it. Uh, on this particular ride, um, I thought about a lot of things. Um, I thought about my dad who had recently passed away. Um, I thought about, wow, this is awfully selfish of me to do these things. I leave my family at home. Um, you know, what if I, what if I freeze to death out here, which was never going to happen, but you think about it. Uh, you know, what if I, what if my front fork breaks and I eat shit and die or break my face or whatever, like, oh, this is really selfish. Uh, but at the same time, I sort of feel like putting myself out there and having these experiences makes me a better person. So the, the risks seem worth it to me. Um, one of my main motivations for riding faster sometimes is so that I'm not gone as long. Um, I want to ride fast. I'm competitive. I want to put myself out there. I really want to challenge myself, but almost always the first thought I'm having is I need to ride fast so I can get home. Um, cause I want to have this adventure and I got to cram it into the shortest time period possible. So I can be home for my kids. I can be home for my wife. I can get all my work done. Um, cause I can't, I don't have the luxury of just dragging it out. Um, and then if I don't ride faster then I have less of an adventure. So I, for me, that's a big motivator these days for trying to go as fast as possible. <laughs> to just try and cram as many miles and its experiences into as short a period as time. So I can just get home. Um, so when I'm out there at a mile 150, I think, okay, I, I can't just sit around and dawdle and whine about how tired I am or whatever. I just, I got to get home. Um, so that's a big motivator for me. That's, that's interesting because it's exactly, that's exactly what I face. I mean, it's, um, it's the family now with a daughter. It's why am I doing this? It's so selfish. Uh, why did I decide to get on my bike today? 
And especially when you, when I, when I have something on this, on the calendar, I can't not train, you know, but every time I seem getting out there and I do like, let's just say it's a 65 mile gravel ride that I have mile 40. I'm like, what the, what the heck am I doing? Why am <laughs> yeah. I doing this? I'm hungry. I'm yeah. tired. I'm sore. I'm crying for some reason, you know, yeah. like I'm just yeah. crying and I, I don't know why I'm crying. But you know why you're crying? It's that same. Yeah, like, yeah. There's thoughts and no thoughts. Yeah. And I'll even call Kenzie sometimes on my ride. And just be like, "Hey, I'm. I love you. I'm almost there. I, yeah, yeah. I'm coming home just to see if, like, okay, cool. She's she's doing stuff. She doesn't need me. Okay, I can get back into the mindset of like just ride your bike. But it's so funny. I don't think it changes, especially you know once you have a family. Or even if you don't have a family, I mean, it could just be you have a girlfriend and you just want to get home to her. But right. now having a family, it's like a hundred times what it used to be. I used to be like, I got nothing to do today besides yeah. bartend tonight, you know, <laughs> on my bike all day. Yeah. Now it's not that. Yeah. I'm super stoked to get out on my bike. And then you're out there and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do think it's worth it, but uh, yeah, there is a there's a sort of a guilt guilt associated with being out for so long. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's important to have enough energy left also when you get home to be able to attend to the people that you care about. Mm -hmm. And so there's that aspect of it too. It's like not just getting home, but then getting home and being a good human and recovering in time and you know cramming in the sleep too yeah. just so that you're around like you know i was gone that whole 24 hours and i you know i'm i'm typically the one who does the vacuuming and the laundry and that sort of thing and so i had to, i had to make sure that shit got done on on sunday mm -hmm. um after sleeping a little bit so um totally you saw yeah. you you know it's almost um you got to get back into into dad and husband character mode you know yeah. where you just you can't you can't be, this is my personal experience. You can't be as, as selfish as riding your bike when you get home to put your feet up and lay on the couch right. because your wife needs you and your baby needs you or your, your kids need you. You know, yeah. you can't just be like, all right, done. Whew, that was a great ride. Honey, yeah, can I get I'm going to lay around all day. Yeah. 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 yeah not, no, not, not my house. <laughs> I'll, be sleeping, I'll be sleeping in the backyard, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah I think really, it's really, I think it's also really important that, I mean, I think your wife is probably this way too. Like my family's very supportive of me doing this, um, these sorts of things. And, and I'm so grateful for that because they don't, they don't have to be. Um, and so I'm so grateful that I'm able to get out and do these things. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm 47 and I, I, I don't want to slow down. I want to keep doing these things. Like every year I want to do more. Um, but you know, I have to balance the desires that I have on the bike and the adventures I want to have with, you know, work and family and that sort of thing. Totally. It's vacation time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Choosing yeah. it, choosing it wisely. Um, but I feel that, and that's, it's cool. Cause you know, most, most people don't understand like kind of what goes into it to um, plan for an adventure, like what you just did or to even commit to training or racing or, you know, what, what it because those are things that you don't get paid for those are things that you're choosing to do you know leaving leaving your family and and taking those those times to yourself um but it's it's what makes you you though which is yeah which which is why your family loves you so much you know and same same in my experience too i don't know yeah. who i would be without it right yeah it, it makes you happy and I get all my demons out that I need to on even a 20 mile ride, just, yeah. just to kind of reset. So yeah. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 yeah, yeah. go, go, go. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking another thought that I had while I was out there and one that I constantly have when I'm having these adventures at some point during a big event or ride, I end up being really grateful um, that I have the opportunity to, to do these things. I mean, even, you know, I, you know, it sounds like, oh, you know, I suffered in the cold and my hip hurt and, oh, you know, I was suffering. But I mean, the reality is like, I have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to do these things. A lot of people don't. Um, and I don't want to take that for granted. Um, 
you know, my family's healthy and I'm mostly healthy and I'm, I, I have the means to be able to do these things. And I, man, I just, I, sometimes I get teary eyed thinking about just the ability to be able to go do these things and have these experiences. Um, some people don't choose to, but a lot of people don't have the option financially or because they're working two jobs or whatever it is. And I'm just beyond grateful that I can do these things fast, slow, whatever it is, but I'm out there breathing the air and seeing the sunrise and seeing the sunset and having my bottles freeze. It's all awesome. And feeling completely human. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's so true. Um, you really do. And almost like when you are closest to death, not death, but you know, when you are on your edge is almost when you feel most alive. Absolutely. And that's yeah. when you cherish your, you know, the people that are in your life the most is when first they're not there. And then also when you are at your most vulnerable, I think that's why we, we still continue to ride the bike yeah, yeah, or, or run a trail or kayak rivers or raft or hike, you know, whatever it is, but no, that's, that's beautiful. Bikes, dude. Bikes, dude. <laughs> so stoked. <laughs> Um, well, I think, you know, before we wrap this up, um, you know, I am new to the podcast world. Um, so I know, I know a handful of people that I think would be a good fit for the podcast, but I also, I also want to ask you, like, who do you think you would want to listen to next? Um, maybe like it was a cool adventure or, um, it could be like a friend who's doing something cool within the community. Um, cause the stoke podcast is not just about biking. It's not just about, you know, ultra endurance. Um, but it's about like health and fitness and, um, overcoming adversity. So it's not just cycling or running or, you know, the ultra world, you know, it's going to be more. And I just want to hear people's stories, you know, cause yeah. it's so cool to hear your story on the Verde Randone. And then, uh, um, so is there is there anyone that you would you know want to listen to or um yeah I, so i have a few people i'm sort of thinking about but i think one thing that, for me is that you know i want to i want to hear from people who like like you said are just stoked to be doing what they're doing and valuing the experience and it doesn't matter to me if they're fast or slow i want to hear from people who are the most happy or getting the most joy out of doing what they're doing um i'd also like to hear from some some women um you know not just a bunch of white dudes all the time on 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 in cool. this environment so i'd love to hear from some women who are stoked to be out there and, and hear about their experiences and what they're doing um Speaking of, I think like talking to Kate Boyle would be awesome. Her experiences that she's had after a car wreck and just the um, successes she's had in mountain biking and endurance riding would be awesome. Um, I think talking to Ezra uh, Ward-Packard would be kind of fun. He's, he's always stoked about everything. Um, cool. So I I'm think definitely going to. He's, he's on the list too. And I've yeah, only yeah. met him at REI. Yeah. Which is so funny. I've, yeah, I've only met him at REI, but we know so many acquaintances, yet we've never ridden together or, or met. Yeah. So Ezra, um, Kate. Yeah, uh, Chase Edwards would be awesome too. She's a local mountain biker um, in town who's pretty much crushed everything she's ever done and had some um, challenges the last uh, couple years in her life. Um, so I think hearing from her would be amazing. Um I'd also think Kevin Austin from Flag Bike Rev on would be really cool. He has the whole crew at Flag Bike Rev has done an amazing job at stoking the interest in getting new trails built in Flagstaff. And Austin in particular has really been a huge driving force in making sure that people get out there on dig days on Thursdays. And um, I think he should be commended and sort of recognized for his efforts in this arena. And so, yeah, listening to him be stoked about building new trails and what it takes to have that, I think would be really cool. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. that They are doing some amazing things, which is uh, the wildfires and the runoff has been so tragic in the Coconino County. Um, most of the trails have been wiped out and 
yeah, the community's coming together and really, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally psyched on on all the new trails that we're getting. Um, it's just it's just incredible how many new miles of single track we've gotten in the last six months. So yeah, it's it's incredible, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be there if it wasn't for people out there volunteering their time. Totally, totally, and no one's getting paid for it. Which yeah, and um, Flag Bike Rev is even giving out uh, like fun knickknacks, like gloves and yeah, raffle prizes and stuff like that, which is which is a huge um, force and why people are probably showing up too. But yeah. Cool. And, Thank um, you for. And Forrest from the forest service, whose last name, I don't know, but his first name is Forrest. Has forest. Been, you know, uh, you know, he's been the one sort of leading the charge from the forest service and getting these trails built, getting him on and hearing about his challenges and getting that going would be really cool. I mean, I commend the forest service for getting on board and, um, getting the shit built. It's easy to talk about and plan, but it's another thing in, to implement it and make it happen. So yeah. kudos to him too. Sweet. Sweet. I'm going to have to, I'm going to reach out to every single one of these people. Awesome. And, and get it on the schedule. So Dana, thank you for those guys. And that's, yeah. and I also, you know, a part of this is just, I want to, I want to meet new people too. It's a good outlet for me to meet people and to hear people's stories, but also to go ride and to, you know, to have, to build more of a community within the Verde Valley, Coconino County. I mean, we're really one area. We share the same trails and, and land. So this, this place is amazing. It's, it's <laughs> phenomenal. I'm yeah. growing a garden right now. That's I awesome. Got tomatoes, zucchini, lettuce, Flagstaff, it's done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's but, cold uh, up here right now. I'm a bike yeah. ride away, you know? Yeah. Totally. So yeah. Well, Dana, um, dude, thank you so much for sharing your story uh, and taking the time to, you know, be the first, uh, first stoke that, <laughs> you know, we're having on the podcast. And I'm super excited to, to hear more um, and to be a part of your events that you put on. So next year, I already want to do the stagecoach and nice. opinions and pines, man, has been on the radar for oh. three years now. And I've just need to pull the trigger um, come on out yeah it's great i know it's a great experience the community i mean one of the things i love about the bikepacking events is that yeah we're racing and we're competitive but like once you get out there after a few hours like everybody's in it together and being supportive and then the camaraderie that happens at the finish line and everything i i just i just love the community that is built around these events like that's that's the reason why we come together and do it but the race ends up sort of becoming the vehicle for the experience that we have. And I, I just, I just love, you know, scoping out the route every year and, you know, it gets me out there sort of exploring. That's why I change it every year. Um, but yeah, just to be able to have a play a role in providing this experience for people, I, I, re I really truly value. So I'm totally into it. And then the Verde Valley Randonnée is just a sort of another way to get people out and riding. And so I want to encourage anybody who's listening to, come ride the route, start wherever the hell you want, ride it in whatever direction you want and just go enjoy it. It doesn't matter how fast you go or how slow you go. It's just a, it's a fantastic loop and with so much variety and terrain, it's beautiful. Um, it's gorgeous. Come, come give it a shot. And I'll throw the link um, in the description. So if anyone, you know, wants any more information, Dana, I'll have you email me that. So Great. I can put it down in the show notes so people can just go explore that see how you can do it and so forth and in that way maybe maybe, maybe wait till it gets a little warmer <laughs> that's why i haven't done it i was like it's warm here but you yeah it's, seven, a, it's a big day yeah seven thousand seventy seven hundred feet no way yeah and it's a huge I, I mean, day it is that yeah yeah the, there's a lot of climbing and uh i mean one of the drawbacks of having done it when i did is that you know there was so much night riding almost half the time was in the dark Thankfully, I've seen everything, but like if I was doing it for the first time, I'd be kind of bummed to have written half of it in the dark because it's gorgeous out there. Oh, it is so, so gorgeous. Yeah. 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 So that, when that I do it, funny. when I do it again, I'll probably try and go in the other direction and try and do it when there's a whole lot more daylight. Or start in Cottonwood yeah. at 4 a.m. In, uh, in September and then end here so you're not freezing cold, you know, the last 40 you're, miles. You're already planning. <laughs> why, why do you think I moved here? <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah go give it a shot i mean 
I feel like, you know, when I finished, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a pretty respectful time. I was super psyched to finish in under 24 hours. But there's no doubt in my mind people could go a whole lot faster. So it'll be interesting to sort of see if if that becomes a thing that people want to chase. Uh, I don't care if people go fast or not. I'm just happy to have people just go ride the route. But it'll be interesting to sort of see if people keep trying to chip away at how fast they can go. Um, for me, it's more important that people go and have the best experience they can. I don't care how long it takes. That's awesome. Go fast. About. Great. Yeah. Cool. Well, Dana, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, cool, man. And yeah, once again, I want to thank you. And uh, I look forward to, sorry, the ba- that's why the baby's No, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, I, can't wait, I can't wait to see the baby in person. Yeah, she's adorable. She's like this beautiful redhead, which we don't know where it came from. Just like, oh, she's going to be a fiery one for sure. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting you on another episode here in the future. Hopefully, maybe we'll do it like right before Opinions and Pines and we can kind of do a debriefing. Oh, that's see, great. Yeah. Where um, like the course gets challenging. That'd be we'll, great. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll plan it in the future. But um, awesome. Well, good luck with the podcast, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to sort of just run my mouth for a little while and chat with you about bikes and experiences and family and all that stuff. Absolutely, Dan. Thank you.